0: This is the Startup Pregnant Podcast, episode number four. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. This episode is brought to you by our amazing friends at Taskerly Virtual Assistance. They are a virtual assistant godsend to anybody who is a busy lady. And if there's one thing I know, parents and entrepreneurs are pretty busy. If you are curious, head to taskerlead.co slash pregnant and apply to work with them. As a bonus for being a startup pregnant listener, you get 10% off of your first three months. And stick around at the end of the show because I'll tell you a little bit more about how they work and how to best use them. This podcast is made possible by sponsors like you. Consider supporting this podcast with a monthly donation on our Patreon page. Head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant. We've got folks who we call our coffee friends who donate the equivalent of a cup of coffee each month to make this show possible. And we're backed by companies we believe in that can help make the lives of busy entrepreneurs and parents a little bit easier. If you want to become one of our company sponsors, head to startuppregnant.com slash podcast and get in touch. Welcome back, podcast listeners. I'm so excited for today's episode. Today, we get to talk to Lauren Smith Brody. She is the founder of the Fifth Trimester Movement, and she's the author of the book by the same name, The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Big Success After Baby. It's a book I really love. I have it on my bookshelves. It just came out in early 2017, and I have sent it already to so many of my friends. It was that good. It felt like when you want to have somebody sitting next to you giving you advice for everything that you should do. It felt like I was like, oh, finally, I have somebody to give me all this advice about exactly what I need to do from the strangest things like how to put on under eye concealer to how to ask for what you need when you're a new mom going back to work. The book was a bestseller in two different categories on Amazon. It was a bestseller in the Motherhood Women in Business category and also a bestseller in the Cultural Anthropology category. Her work has been featured in a number of places. She's been on Good Morning America, CNN.com, Forbes, Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, and more. And before this, she had a 16 year career in publishing, in magazine publishing. She was the longtime executive editor of Glamour Magazine before she left to start her own journey into entrepreneurship. As an entrepreneur, she started the fifth trimester movement and wrote a book, the one that I just told you about. So I emailed her and I said, hey, I really loved your book and I'd love to talk to you about both parenting and entrepreneurship. So in this episode, what you're going to hear, she's going to talk about what the phrase the fifth trimester means. What is the fifth trimester and why is it so important for new moms who are going back to work? She has essential advice for parents and how to ask for what you need. It can be such a hard thing to ask for what you need, and it's so important to learn how to do. She tells us a bit about her experience having kids and going back to work and and how that inspired the book in the first place. And she has some really great advice that we get into at the end about what it takes to be an entrepreneur and her advice for women who are thinking about making the leap from corporate to entrepreneurship, how to make space and time for it, whether or not it's right for you and how difficult it can be. So not to glamorize like, oh, we let's all become entrepreneurs, how difficult it can be, but also how important of an opportunity it is, and maybe it might be the right fit for some folks. So here we go. Let's welcome Lauren to the show. right, everyone. I have Lauren Smith Brody here. She's the founder of the Fifth Trimester Movement, which helps businesses and new parents work together to create a more family-friendly workplace culture. I've told you a lot about her in the introduction, so we'll get right into it. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I have your book. And I have highlighted so much of it. And I've sent it to many of my friends who are pregnant. <laughs> and I'm just like, read this book. So, happy. <laughs> so I want to start by asking you to tell me about your morning, but just today, not every ah. morning, not your perfect morning routine. But what was today like for you?
1: Oh, I love, I love that question. It's Friday of the first week of school. So we've like, I feel so My kids are are not babies anymore. They are six and nine. They're boys. And it feels so good to have them in a real routine. And I realized as I was coming back to my home office after dropping them off at school that it means that I am now back in a real routine too. And that is... I can't tell you how soothing it is and how much more productive I feel already, but it's okay. My morning. So we got up. I was relieved to see that my younger son was not sleeping in the sleeping bag on our floor, but had actually stayed in his bed last night. (laughs) And what we typically do is my husband will get the kids ready while I get myself ready so that I can get the kids out the door by about 730. And then he leaves right after we do, we sort of switch and then he gets ready. Kids and I ran for the bus. They are now big enough that when the bus passes us by, we can run and catch it, which is amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Caught it. One of them had forgotten his Metro card, the other had it. It was fine. We got to school exactly on time, and I mean, it's like this is like a total success of a morning, and they got settled in, and then I actually met a mom who is working part-time and used to be at Goldman and has three kids, including a baby. I met her for the first time because my younger one has just started kindergarten, and they're new at our school, and we walked back across the park so that she could head home to her home office, and I could head home to my home office, and here we are. Here we are. School-age kids lot in there. I got like some social time, I got some thinking about, you know, like scheduling for the next week and it's all like that's it's only 10:06 right now. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's great. That's really great. I, I mean, actually if, if we get interrupted by like three calls from the school about, you know, who knows
0: what. Totally. Totally. And I find it funny we were emailing back and forth and you emailed me late last night and I emailed you way too early this morning and I was like, "Hmm, I wonder if she's a night person or a morning person." So I really wanted to ask you this question. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're both, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I am not. I go to bed super early. I'm like a nine or 10 o'clock sleeper. I like to wake up around five. And that's just, I think that's from my college swimming days.
1: I think I gotta tell you, like, I think that that is so much more beneficial for parenthood. So I have like, what's good about getting back in a routine and being in the school day is also what's bad is that I have found that my entire life and I'm turning 40 next week. So this has been like, I've been working for 20 years. I am absolutely my most creative, productive, and efficient between the hours of 3 p.m. and midnight. And unfortunately, that's like when my kids get home from school. And so we have to have childcare. I just don't get good work in. And, you know, I would love to use my mornings more efficiently. And I really try to, but I just, there's something that kicks in, especially because a lot of the work that I do is creative. I will just sort of save my creative projects for 3 p.m. Because I know that's when it hits, Mm -hmm. which which is tough, but. At least I've identified
0: it. <laughs> totally knowing when it is. I, that's why I actually started waking up earlier because I'm the same, but a different time. I know that mm-hmm. my creative window is before noon, and if I don't get to write or do anything creative in the morning, I kind of feel a little like dead inside by the end of the day. Yeah, and waste your day. yeah. I know exactly, exactly. So I have to. Like sometimes I get up early and I'm like, well, I'm tired, but I'm happy. So yeah, yeah,
1: okay, coffee.
0: It co- uh, yes. Correct. (laughs) Um, So I want to ask you about this book, The Fifth Trimester. It came out earlier this year. Was it earlier this year, the end of last year? Yeah,
1: no, it was April of this year.
0: April of this year. Wow. It's so new. Obviously, you've been working on it for a number of years before that. Can you talk about the impetus you had for writing it? Like, what was the moment or many moments where you said, ah, I need to write a book (laughs) about this?
1: I love this question because I I didn't recognize it when I was in it myself. So just to define the fifth trimester, you know what the first three are. That's pregnancy. The fourth trimester was something that I learned about when my first son was born and he was a little hard to soothe. And I read The Happiest Baby on the Block by Dr. Harvey Karp, who explained the idea that human babies are born three months too early. And that if you just, you know, swaddle them and recreate the feeling of the womb, they'll be soothed. And then at about the magic age of 12 weeks, they kind of wake up to the world and connect with you and start to get on a little bit more of a schedule. And they just start being the baby that you imagined you might have initially. And I found that to be very, very true. And I also found it to be incredibly anxiety provoking that I was going back to work at 12 weeks. And I also knew that I worked in an industry where I actually had good benefits and I had a salary that allowed me to take a few of those weeks unpaid. It was okay. And I had a supportive partner and I had um, a supportive team at work and I kind of had all the stars aligned. And yet still, I went back to work in what I have now defined as the fifth trimester, because it is so clearly a, a developmental stage, only this one's for mom, and totally floundered and just I actually, looking back, did a pretty good job at my job, but it didn't feel like it at the time. But so the moment when this idea and when I sort of came up with the term the fifth trimester and realized that there was so much that I had learned during my maternity leave and during those first really struggling months in the office was actually kind of on the other side of it. I was I was still pumping at that point. I'd probably been back at work for maybe four or five months and this is sort of a good parenting tip for later on. When I was growing up, my parents had said to me, don't even bother ever lying to us because everything's written on your face, <laughs> which may or may not have been true, but it, its I have adopted that. And so I kind of knew that in the workplace, it was okay for me to be transparent about what I was going through and honest about the feelings around it because it actually helped me be better at my job and it helped me be a better leader and a better mentor. However, there was a moment at like the four or five month mark when a couple of colleagues, both the same week came into me and we had essentially the same conversation. They were younger than I was and, you know, sort of earlier stage of life. And they said to me, one came in and and said, you know, can you help me with this headline? I I was working at, I don't think I said this, I was working at Glamour magazine. I was the executive editor. And I said, she said, can you help me with this headline? We missed you so much. And I just, I really, really needed, you know, your guidance on this kind of thing while you were out. And by the way, thank you so much for being so honest about parenthood in the workplace. And I was kind of initially a little taken aback and thought, oh gosh, have I complained one too many times about being tired or, you know, have I not seemed together enough? Can she, you know, like did I not rub my concealer in properly under my eyes? (laughs) And, and it was actually the exact opposite. She said, you know, because she finished her sentence and she said, because, you are still the person I look up to so much. You show me that one day it's gonna be hard, but I'm still gonna be able to do it. And I think until I saw you do it, I didn't know that that was the case. So thank you. And I just, I'm getting chills just retelling the story because of the feeling that she gave me in that moment. I had also simultaneously reached a point in my career where in magazines, you can actually see there's a masthead in the front. It shows you kind of, you know, where you stand in terms of your career. You can see who's above you. You can see who's beneath you. And I had climbed to the point that I wanted to climb, and I had—I never want to say I'd stopped learning, but I had gotten to a point where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to learn next. And I realized in that moment that the part of my job I really enjoyed and the growth part of my job for me at that point was this mentoring of these people around me, showing them that parenthood could be a great thing in the workplace. It could fuel you and inspire you and. Help you change culture for people around you in a way that would be beneficial for them when it was their turn. So that was really the moment I think that this all crystallized for me. And then it took actually you know years of having phrase in mind and the idea in mind to and having my second baby and getting through that to leave the publishing industry and do the research for this book and proposal. And I know you're working on a book, so you know about the proposal process (laughs) to pitch it to agents and get an agent, get a publisher get it published. And now I'm finally at the point where the book is out in the world. It is doing its job. I'm so, so excited to hear from moms who are saying that it's helping them. And people like you are saying that they're gifting it even to their friends makes me so delighted and happy. And now I'm kind of in phase B, which is launching this business to go into companies and help them make better culture. So the book is for moms, but the business is really meant to help companies. Many of whom are, um, kind of already on board with having the right policies, but they look around and see that people aren't really using them or they're still having a hard time with retention. So to help them through the cultural
0: side of workplace dynamics of parenthood. Mm -hmm. And I've talked Uh way too long. (laughs) 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 No, it's, I'm so glad that you gave us the overview and there's so much in there that I want to unpack. And I want to, before we get into like where you are now, and I have so many questions about like the experience of starting the business and what that's like because an entrepreneur. But before I get to that, I want to go back and like be inside of the moment when you're a new mom, right? Like you've been pregnant for nine months, 10 months, right? And you are like, just for so many people just slammed with that first three months of like, what the, (laughs) like what just happened to my life? And then you throw in this other challenge for all these working mothers of going back to work and the experience, you said it, you said, I was doing a good job at my job. I just didn't feel like it at the time. Yeah. And what that's like for women, because one of the reasons that I started this podcast and I started my own journey in this is I just remember, I have this feeling and I remember, like when i was learning how to breastfeed because that was something i chose to try to do i was like w- i don't like what why is there so little information like what like why yeah. do my girlfriends never talk about this why haven't i heard about this? why don't i even see this you know and it was just right. this like combination of panic and overwhelm and fear and then like guilt and i felt like i uh, didn't know what i, I, I was the only doing human that ever- Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So can you talk a little bit to, to that woman who is in the few months postpartum and like what she's feeling like and give her some light at the end of the tunnel advice? Uh, Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I mean, to, to unpack what you were saying. So I think that, you know, we are living in a time of amazing opportunity, but I think also expectations that are just so out of line with reality. And it's hard not to blame yourself. It's a really kind of like loaded meta thing, but it's hard not to blame yourself when your expectations are out of line. So, you know, this is, I think, really the first generation of new mothers who feel like they deserve And expect and, and should be able to achieve everything they want at home and in their careers. And I think that's true. You do deserve all of those things, but, you know, I think sometimes we think it all has to happen at this exact same time, you know, and right away. And sometimes the women who are, you know, striving the most are the most really like knocked in the head by, you know, that feeling you were describing in those first three months. And it can be helpful to know that, but it can also be sort of defeating to think, oh great, now it's my fault too, because my expectations are too high. Well, great. <laughs> and that that really like can lead to a pretty tough swirl. And that was what I felt in that moment. But you know, in the interviewing that I did for the book, so first of all, two things. The biggest takeaway, and I interviewed hundreds and hundreds of women and found that the biggest, and these are women who had all approaches to motherhood, whether it was adoptive, single, you know, gay moms, like all kinds of every situation you could think of, I tried to find surrogate moms all sort of approaches to career. So they were working for themselves. They were working in corporate America. They were working part-time. They were working hourly wage jobs. I really tried to make sure everyone could find themselves in this book. And so the biggest takeaway of all of these questions that I asked them was that these women were going back to work months before they felt physically and emotionally ready to. And I was actually able to pinpoint that in both cases, it's right around the six month mark when they Mm -hmm. start to feel better. And then lo and behold, like the scientific data about, you know, postpartum mood disorders and when your risk for that goes down and, you know, physically when your body starts to really start to get back to normal, not just in your genes, but feeling good, it really is all around like the five and a half, six month mark. It's very reassuring, I think, to know that it's upsetting, but it's reassuring to know that in America, you know, women are back at work before they're physically and emotionally ready to be there. But having that context, I think helps you adjust your expectations and helps you helps you be a little bit more kind to yourself. And once you've gone through it, more kind to people around you who have a a need in their personal life, whether it's pregnancy or something else too. And that is, that's the kind of paying it forward that I hope to communicate with this fifth trimester movement and the book and, you know, just for people to really offer a hand back to the people who are coming up underneath them and to be really open about what was hard. Because ultimately that is what is going to you know, barring any huge federal change, you know, in our parental leave, that's what's going to do it. Like we're going to be doing this like every parent for him or herself Mm -hmm. and, and ultimately for every other parent at the same time too.
0: I think this is one of the reasons why the title of your book, The Fifth Trimester is so genius (laughs) because so the fourth trimester is this idea that you explained a lot of it earlier, but I want to add to it. One of the ideas is that little babies come out too soon, right? Like in an ideal world, they might stay in the womb for 12 months. And those last three months, they come out, but they need to be kind of kangaroo cuddled in our arms and snuggled. And there's just no way they can be that far away from mom, which is where a lot of the guidelines for 12 weeks, you know, of parental leave, maternity leave, kind of came up as a standard, although obviously, we don't have that yet in our country. And the fifth trimester is about it seems the same for the mom, like you're not quite ready to go back to work yet. It's just the data show that it's six months is much better. And yet we're rushing back. And if we have that perspective towards ourselves, like, hey, you might not be ready yet, you're doing this thing, and you're not quite ready, it can change all the could have's and should have's and would like, like shooting all over ourselves as new parents. Yes. Like, why am I not yeah. perfect? Why do I not fit into my jeans? I mean, it took me nine months. I'm still five pounds more than I was before. I like okay, okay. And they're different pounds. They're in different places, probably. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally, definitely. I've never had boobs this big. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to like do a little projection here, which is fast forward ten years you've had wild success with the fifth trimester movement and and let's go with me here you've been able to enact policy change in the united states the government does everything you want them to do we oh, change exactly. right you change you change the way business operates and the way that we talk about women what's different what does that look like honestly the very
1: first thought that occurs to me is parity you know i mean i think it's top of the news headlines right now in terms of you know equal pay and i think that's such a huge part of it so you know that that has a trickle effect that affects everything at home and at work and one of the things that i found was you know and again it sort of gets into this this self blame but you know while women have outsized expectations of themselves generally speaking this is also the first generation of men who were men and partners who were raised to believe that they should absolutely partner with us and be our, you know, our co-parents, you know, fifty-fifty. And yet we fight that sort of against our best judgment, because I think we have this need sometimes, or I I know I do, I should talk about just myself, to to sort of take control. And it just affects so much. So what I would love to see is I would love to see in 10 years, not just that we have, you know, support at in the workplace for new parents who are coming back, not just we have six months of paid leave, dream it with me, but that. Men also, partners also have the exact same amount of time and that they are taking it. Because what ends up happening is, even in the best intended couples who I interviewed, you know, the ones with, you know, men who call themselves feminists and women who absolutely understand that they need to help, if you have a mom who is taking a much longer maternity leave than dad who is taking a shorter parental leave or paternity leave, it just sets up all these patterns. So, you know, the person who is at home is the one learning on the job. And the person who is at work is taking on a much more traditional taking care of the baby only in the bookends of the day kind of role that is, you know, frankly set in the last century. And the only way we will shake out of that pattern is if we take equal leave. Now, I think you can kind of self-correct for a little bit if you're aware of it. So, you know, in reality, like I'm married to a doctor. He was, for our first son, he was beginning his residency. And for our second son, he was ending his residency when I was home on maternity leave. And he was working overnight shifts and crazy hours. And it wasn't possible for him to take more than a couple of days of leave. It wasn't actually allowed. and. It set up some patterns and we didn't necessarily handle it perfectly, but what I would advise other couples in that situation is to be aware of it, to be aware that when mom goes back to work, suddenly, you know, Dad has to know how to do some of these things. Dad has to feel not just that he knows how, but that some of these duties are his entirely and you might not even know how to do them. And that takes a really conscious decision in your partnership to know that, you know, you're going to trust this person to take care of the baby with the same love and skills that you have. And anyway, so I think some of of what I'd love to see 10 years of the future is is dads doing as much as moms, but I have to caveat that with moms letting dads do as much as moms, because it is just as much on us as it does on them.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think it's so important. And it's so important to, for people to hear and to hear again and again, and then to, and then to go into their lives and be like, Oh, right, that thing, it's not happening. How do I self correct? How do I adjust? Right. Right? Because there's knowing and there's doing, which is always the challenge, at least for me. Yeah. So zooming out also a little bit in terms of the immediate family, you've got mom and you've got dad and all of the other families that look in so many different forms mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and styles. What about the close friends and the, the grandparents? What are things that are friends and family that maybe don't know? What's happening? Who haven't experienced uh, right. working mom going back to work? Like, what are things that they can do to help support? I know that I didn't know a thing when I was in my twenties. I had no idea. Like, my friends got pregnant. I was like, Oh, you look cute in those clothes. Like, I'm killing myself <laughs> right now because of what I thought and what I said. Or it's like, Oh, let me come visit the baby right away. You know, again, uh no, not that. What are some important things that our friends and family, without kids or who haven't been through this journey yet, what can they do to support each other?
1: Can I start with something really, really superficial? Of course. (laughs) So this is just a personal, like, you know, not everybody is going to agree with me on this, but whenever I give a gift to a new parent, I always on the card say, do not write me a thank you note. Please, Your, your thank you to me is spending that 10 minutes or realistically, like once you get your act together and get the stamp and get it to the mailbox, 20 minutes with your baby instead. I know that you appreciate the gift. (laughs) You know, that's enough. That is one tiny thing. Actually, I have to tell you, like, if I had heard that from the, you know, dozens of wonderful people who gave us beautiful gifts, I would have felt a little bit let off the hook in my expectations. It's sort of when you know that someone's expectations of you have been lowered a little bit, it's easier to do it for yourself too. So that's, that's one small thing. I think the other thing that people who don't have kids yet or people who had kids, you know, years and years ago need to remember is that the family structure has changed. So it is completely the norm in America right now to have a dual income family. There's that. Families don't live as close together as they used to. And that so many of our societal, cultural expectations of each other, and even, you know, our sort of governmental standards are based on an assumption of a family of what a family looked like 50 years ago or 60 years ago, which is just not what a family looks like now. You know, it used to be that, you know, grandma would be, you know, staying with you for months or would live, you know, right down the street and would be aware if you didn't look right to her. You know, she would see you day to day and know that you've been crying three days in a row. No matter how loving and how attentive your extended family are, if they're not actually physically with you, and it's all on you to communicate that, like they might not know. So some of it is about being just extra sensitive to the new pressures that are on parents that didn't used to exist. And I think that there is a a tendency among people to think that raising children is raising children. And yes, I think some of that is true. You know, like two-year-olds will, you know, always push limits and three-year-olds will always whine and four-year-olds will always ask why, like that doesn't change. But what's changed is the pressures of, oh, here's one thing, round the clock work. You know, I mean, when, when we were growing up, when I was growing up, my mom and dad were not, there wasn't email. My mom and dad were not getting emails at night. They weren't expected to be in touch beyond the hours of 6.30 at night and nine in the morning. I remember like on, I can count on one hand the times when my mom or my dad got a call that was work related in the evening hours and it made an impact they got up from the dinner table and took the call that is now completely standard and the norm. And that's something it's important to remember what has changed in these new pressures.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Like we're all getting those emergency calls, but we're getting like 30 of them every night in the form of and email. Like, well, it's an emergency really, you know, right, right, right. But it feels like that in our psyches, but it's not actually.
1: Right. Cause it's also a time when you feel this great need to prove, you know, your necessity, you know, you just weren't there for weeks or months or whatever your leave was. And you want to say, I'm back. And oh, my gosh, didn't you miss me? And you needed me. And now I'm going to double down. Well, it's really hard to double down when you are not physically or emotionally yourself yet.
0: Mm. Oh, that's such an important point. Like, There's something wrapped up in there psychologically of like, you needed me, right? Let me prove that I'm necessary. There's a huge psychology of fear there, which is like, what if they don't need me? What if I'm not necessary? And even if you don't th-
1: feel that way, you know, you're proving to yourself that it's worth it because a lot of moms, even more commonly, moms told me that, you know, they were going back to work thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm paying for child care that costs almost as much as my own salary should I even really be doing this? So you're kind of trying to prove to yourself your necessity too. And it's just this double-edged sword.
0: Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. So you have this chapter in the book where you talk about the checklist for returning back to work. And it's really great because it's two things. It's think about what you need yeah, and ask for it. And, I, <laughs> and it's like such a it was such a relief when I read that because I Mass You should checklist. see all my my <laughs> checklists like I have millions and millions of checklists and post it notes everywhere. And it's like, oh, so can you tell me a little bit more about this philosophy of asking for what you need? Because I think it is something that is really, really hard for people to do. I know yeah. that's true for me. And it comes at a time in your life when it might feel almost impossible to do yet. It's so important. Talk to me about yeah. this.
1: So I think it's really important to know that literally the only thing someone else can't do for your baby is produce breast milk. I mean, and actually like, like actually some, some women could, you could share (laughs) everything else someone in your life can do and whatever they can't do for the baby, because that baby is attached to you or whatever, they can do something for you. And when you are home, especially, you know, when you've just had that baby and you really, you understand that, you know, it can be physically incapacitating at first, that's a really good time to start building a habit, especially if you are the kind of person who just never asks for help. And like, that is me through and through. I get it. It's a good time to practice and try. And people who are, you know, in your life at that point, you know, if you have a partner, your partner, if you have, you know, grandparents either around or by phone, these are people who love you and want to help you and want you to ask them for help. They want to know how they can help. So. Be really clear about it. One thing I heard, I did a whole separate survey that was with partners and dads, and they were clear that you needed logistical help. They really understood that, you know, you might need them to physically bring you food if you're pumping, that you might, you know, need them to change a diaper, to pack the diaper bag for work so that you can get yourself ready, whatever it is. They understood logistically that you needed stuff, but they didn't know what it was. They needed you to spell it out for them and they wanted to help. But the thing that the survey result that I found really compelling was that they didn't actually get that you needed emotional help that you needed their emotional support. And so I talked to a couple of maternal mental health experts. And so they really helped me figure out what that means. So how do you ask for emotional support? It is actually figuring out like what is gonna most soothe you, what is gonna make you feel most comfortable and confident and le- least anxious and asking for that. And it can be kind of an embarrassing thing to ask for. I remember in college, I had to, my, I'm married to my college sweetheart and there was a point where I, I actually had to like, sound so bratty, but I had to say to him, you never ever have given me any flowers. That is something I would really love. And it felt so lame to have to ask it. And yet the first time he gave me flowers, I felt like, oh, okay. I love getting these flowers. Mm. I love that I was able to ask for them and receive them. And that can be a really empowering thing. So the same thing goes with emotional needs. If you can say to your partner, you know what I need, sweetheart? I need you once a day to just remember to tell me that I'm a great mom. And I know that sounds pathetic that I need to hear it. But hearing it from you means so much for me. And and it means a lot to me that I can even be comfortable enough to ask you for that. And so those kinds of needs are also things you need to practice asking for. Then bring all that to work. (laughs) When you go back to work, there will be emotional moments where you need to ask for you know a moment or be a little transparent about the fact that you're tired or that you got more emotionally upset about something that wouldn't have upset you previously because this is what you're going through. And there will definitely be logistical needs that you have. And you need to be able to ask for them in a way that does not feel like you are asking for an accommodation. You're asking for a workaround. You're asking for something that is mutually beneficial. It's going to help you, but it is ultimately going to help your employer and the company you're asking for it. And so if you can kind of do that math in your head, and then ask in a way that communicates that you will be serving such a greater purpose than just your own needs. It's amazing.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. That reminds me actually of things that we've done in our family. Like my husband used to work 10 to 6. And mm-hmm. when our first kid, we only have one kid at the mm-hmm. moment. When he arrived, he was like, hey, can I switch to 8 to 4? Yeah, it's same hours, just slightly different schedule. It's gonna really help because I could actually do daycare pickup. And yeah. the team he worked with, they were like, sure, no problem. That's amazing. And it's, you don't get into Harvard if you don't apply to Harvard, right? Like, he wouldn't have gotten it had not <laughs> asked, you know? Right, right. Right. And it's not like, hey, guys, can you accommodate me? I've got to do this whole thing. Like, I'm shifting my schedule, blah, blah, blah. It's just, hey, same hours, but just a different clock. It's like, I'm, you know, moving right. to a, a couple states over. Right that's
1: world changing. We couldn't even, and this was, you know, granted, this was my son is nine. So this was nine years ago, but there actually were not any daycares that had hours that would have worked for us that were conveniently located enough that we could afford. Like it just daycare was not an option. So we really scrimped to be able to afford a nanny because we knew that our hours were going to be so unpredictable. You yeah, know, that
0: opened I, up a whole world of possibilities for you. That's amazing. It was It exactly. It just had so many cascading effects that were so helpful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we get to have dinner together. And it's just, you know, on and on what we can talk about that, you know, later. You haven't done it yet. It's really important. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and so you you mentioned something in this that I think I want to call out you know asking for what you need and identifying like here are the ways that I need to be taken care of and nurtured and one of the phrases you use in your book is self-soothing for parents yeah. which yeah. is we all know about self-soothing for infants but I just <laughs> loved this phrase because you're like wait what am I gonna do is suck my thumb again I'm a 35 year old you know what does it mean self-soothing for parents this is so genius
1: so this is where I was so glad that I got to talk to actual psychiatrists, you know, who could actually explain to me and I'm not going to get it right as I explain it to you without the book in front of me, but who could explain to me the neural pathways of, you know, what it takes to feel that flood of endorphins in your brain that makes you feel soothed. And a lot of it is about sort of sensory soothing. So I couldn't believe when, you know, there was a sleep expert who actually said to me, you know what, caffeine is fine. So like sometimes <laughs> the advice that I got was actually like really reassuringly easy to do. And so what one of the maternal mental health experts said to me was, if you can find a way to soothe one of your senses, you will feel good. So figure out what that means for you. And she was, um, we were talking specifically about using your commute for self soothing, because it's kind of a little hidden pocket of me time, although I don't really love the term me time, like there it is. When you can do that. So, what is that for you? Is that there is a hand lotion that is like you know a little bit of an extravagance for you, but it has a smell that just like takes you right back to when you were 16 and lying on a beach or whatever. That you you actually you smell it and you get that flood of good feeling in your brain that actually calms you down, like actually calms your nerves. Or is it? You know, she said it might be really like a piece of really good dark chocolate. And I was like, oh my god, am I really gonna write a book for new parents that advises moms to eat chocolate? Like, come (laughs) on. Except that she explained it in a way that made me feel like, okay, I get it. Like, this is an important thing you do for yourself. And it also comes back to realizing that you've done this good thing for yourself. Mm. If you're a person who can take care of herself, then you're able to take care of your baby. And that is a really empowering feeling. I also got a lot of advice about having a back pocket plan. And this came from both new moms who had had a crying jag at work or a time when they you know, just were more emotional or more tired or lashed out when, you know, otherwise they would have had control. Some of it is about having a plan for what to do. It's just like sitting there in your back pocket of your pants, like ready to go for when you need it. And one way to identify what kind of plan that would be for you is to figure out what your sort of core value is. There is a survey you can take online. I'm going to think of it before we finish this call <laughs> that, um, that is, was developed out of the university of Pennsylvania by a psychologist. Named Martin Seligman, who's sort of the founder of the positive psychology movement. Gosh, I'm struggling to think of it. Sorry, I'm going to have to look it up. Advises is you sort of identify your core value of what gives you the most pleasure and satisfaction and comfort in life. And there are these, you know, 30 different traits to choose from, and you take a quiz to figure it out. So if you can identify that trait, and the truth is, is you know it without taking the quiz. I knew mine. Mine was love. Like I love to feel loved. I love to give love. It's really, I'm a very basic woman that way. And so I had to figure out my back pocket plan would soothe that need. So how would I feel loved if I were having a freak out at work about God knows what? And the truth is, is I know that every single time I call my dad without fail, even if it is just to ask the weather or what time his plane is landing, he will hang up the phone with, I love you. Mm. And it makes me feel loved. And so that's a really, you know, it would be great if I if had, I had, I known to do this when I was postpartum, I would have loved it. But, you know, to set him up, I would say, you know, if I were going through this again, now I would say, dad, there's going to be moments at work when I'm having a bad day. I won't have time to talk, but I want to be able to just call you and hear your voice for two minutes. And when you hang up, like I'll know that you'll say, I love you. And that again, you've shown yourself that you know what to ask for and you must be together enough to ask for what you need. And ultimately that gets you there and gets you through that moment.
0: Oh, I love that so much. And I love that it's like your sane self is planning ahead for the times when you know, you're gonna have a meltdown. You're like, what am I gonna want? I'm gonna want someone to tell me I love you. Yeah. Oh. And it's inevitable,
1: you will have a meltdown. And that's okay. Like mm-hmm. that's, it's meant to happen.
0: <laughs> totally, totally. So I want to make sure I have time to ask you about the shift from working as the executive editor at Glamour magazine, you had this very long publishing career. And you made it up on the masthead, like you said, and then you shifted to writing your own book and starting your own business. What is that like? It's a consultancy, it's a speaking group, whatever it is. Right. right. Well, do you identify, do you call yourself an entrepreneur?
1: I do. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I call mine my like, my short version of my title is founder and author. And I, I very much consider myself a founder of this movement and a participant in it because there are so many great people working to support new parents in the workplace besides me. Obviously, the work goes far beyond the book. So the book is meant to be kind of the centerpiece of it. And it is for moms and it is the thing you can, you know, you can recommend to a friend. But the work I'm doing on the flip side is I'm going into companies and I'm helping them make, you know, not just better policies, but better support for new parents once they're back to, and that's all kinds of different programming that I'll do, you know, including, you know, lunch and learns and, you know, offering sort of a concierge service one-on-one for anyone they want to give that to as a benefit, but also creating mom mentorship programs in the workplace, doing some surveying internally to figure out, I have this amazing cache of survey results nationally that I could see, you know, we're from, from moms all over. So I told you all it's from different circumstances, but also from all over the country. So Mm -hmm. I can align those results with whatever surveying I do within a company and let them Mm -hmm. see where they're succeeding and where they're falling behind, you know, on everything from pumping spaces to things even as seemingly silly, but actually meaningful as did your boss give you a baby gift? You know, Mm -hmm. So that's something else that I can do. But the speaking has been the biggest part of it so far. And I've really, really enjoyed kind of finding my voice. And one of the really, really pleasant surprises of jumping into this is that the advice in the book is very much about this transitional period and about how transitions can set you up ultimately for success. And. I kind of was a little self-conscious about the fact that my boys are six and nine, they're not babies anymore. And yet I found, especially as I was doing my book tour this spring, that I was constantly relying on so many of the tips and advice that experts and other moms had offered for women who are in a transitional period, because turns out, they actually apply to kind of all different transitions. And the one Mm -hmm. that I was going through was transitioning out of a corporate job where I had a boss, I had people underneath me, I had expectations that I knew had to be met. I had a product I held in my hand at the end of every month to working for myself where my hours are not defined. My product is not, you know, totally defined yet. I'm figuring out what to charge for my services. It's all up to me. So I've started relying on a lot of these same tactics. Everything from, you know, advice about having a little miniature closet within your closet for your, you know, for what works for you in this moment in time to pull from. So you're not looking at the vast array of a thousand things that either don't mm-hmm. fit or aren't appropriate. So I did that for my book tour. I have a little corner of my closet that is like <laughs> the things I, I pull out if I'm going to go give a talk. Things like, you know, setting limits in my own day. It's been really a challenge. and I I bet this comes up a lot for the people you talk to, to figure out, you know, when do I turn off? You know, I have the flexibility now to go, you know, do things in my personal life during the day if I want to, but then I also tend to let work creep into the evening and how do I define that? And so all of these, these lessons for new moms have actually ended up applying to this, like quite
0: elderly, almost 40 year old mom, (laughs) Mm, not elderly. Not elderly. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to set the scene a little bit. How old were your kids when you left your job and started working on this book?
1: It was almost three years ago. So they were three and six. Okay. And it has been, I think I wrote this in the acknowledgments. It has been such a joy to have them understand why I'm doing this work because they were old enough to really get it. The older one will really is like, (laughs) he's like, He's like my number one publicist. He will come home from school and tell me which teachers are pregnant, you know, (laughs) who might need my book. Um, And the little one, Teddy, you know, especially when he was still now, he's a cuddly boy. He's sort of lives up to his name. But especially when he was three, he was my like, you know, just immediate touchstone as I was writing this to that kind of cuddly phase of wanting to like be with your babies and have them on you and with you. And just that sort of physical attachment that you feel to them because he's such a snuggly boy. So I kind of got the best of both and it helped me, I think, have, you know, relate to the women I was interviewing who had new babies, but also kind of see the future and help them see the future of why we work and why we try to set this example for the people we're raising and for who, you know, we want to help them see in order to be. It's been really, really gratifying.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So I love the, one of the things that, that Startup Pregnant looks at is how similar the journey of, pregnancy and becoming a parent and the journeys of entrepreneurship really are, right? There's so Uh, many transitional phases, just exactly what you're saying. I want to close with a final question. And, or it's like, it's kind of a big statement because it's something I'm studying. One of the things that you write, you touch on this trend that I'm really fascinated by. And it's the idea that the number of women-owned businesses is growing so fast. And you said in your book, there's a study from 2014 that said that there's like 1200 new women owned businesses launching every day, which I think is just so wild and so cool. And it makes me such an optimist about the future of what's happening with women. And I'll say also that there's this book, it's about 20 years old now, The Secrets of Six Figure Women. Have you ever heard of that book? (laughs)
1: Yes, yes, I have.
0: And in the beginning of it, she talks about the state of the world in 1999. And at that moment in time, women were still... The average woman was earning twenty five thousand dollars a year. That was the wow. average salary for women and wow. right and like and women were not making a tremendous amount of money. They were making fifty to eighty percent of what their partners were making if they were working right? We still had a lot of women that weren't even working right and so what's changed over the last fifteen years has been so incredible because women entrepreneurs are one of the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs mhm I like this makes me such an optimist. And I want to know, know what you think about like what's possible over the next 15 years and, and maybe to put a finer point in it. And there's a siren going by, but we're just going to let it keep going. To put a finer point in it, what advice and what words of wisdom do you have for women that want to become entrepreneurs and that are curious about this journey and are thinking like maybe this is something that I want to think about?
1: I think it's understanding that it will be hard and that that can be a great thing. That sometimes, you know, the things that are hardest and the hoops that we, you know, put in front of ourselves to jump through can actually be the things we look back and are proudest of. So I think it's okay to know that it's hard and that it will be. I think realistically, I think that there are a lot of women, and I would imagine probably a lot of moms who are listening to your podcast who have this dream of doing their own thing. And it is very much an instinct, I think, that is born in a lot of people when they have their children, you know, they want to find such meaning in their work. And so often that comes from doing your own, your own project. And this is me. I mean, I I relate to this through and through. However, financially, it is not always possible to just jump into it. And so I think a lot of women assume that like, oh, well, I just can't do that. And what I heard from a lot of moms, particularly as they were in the you know, in the infant year, you know, or if they had more than one child, you know, and there was still one who was under one, you know, it's really, really hard to feel like you are ever going to find your creativity ever again and your drive sometimes. And, and yet you will like know that it's there in front of you eventually. In the meantime, if you are working in some, you know, widget making job that doesn't feel satisfying for you, figure out what it is in that job that is satisfying and tend to that. In a lot of people's cases, you know, they find that their nurturing instinct is really activated when they have children. And so they kind of start to do that at work. And I think that that can be, you know, if you're not in love with the widgets you're making, but you actually quite love the people who you're making them with, and you can kind of foster creativity in each other. I think that can be a very satisfying thing. Then next step, take that and on the side, start your side project, whatever it is, you know, like if you have an hour a day, if you have three hours a week, do something that is truly yours. And it doesn't, you know, it can be a hobby. It doesn't have to be something necessarily that is going to make you a lot of money. Initially, it will drive you. And it will also help, I think, lay, lay a path in front of you to help you realize that you can either jump into this thing eventually, or it's there waiting for you for when you're ready to or it may just help you feel more satisfied and less disgruntled in a job that you're not happy in at the moment. It may give you the confidence to go into your corporate job and say, I'm ready to take on something really creative because look what I was able to do, you know, as my, my side gig. There's all kinds of roads in front of you when you try something on the side. And I was even thinking just the other day. So my husband loves to fish. He has a hobby. He fishes. My older son really loves building stuff in robotics. Great. My younger son loves art. I was like, what is my hobby? You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I think it's really important to have in my hobby is actually reading and writing, but it ties right into my work, and for me, that's a good thing. you know, find a little bit of time in the corners of your day to do something that is inspiring and eventually may lead to a leap in your career um, if you aren't quite ready to go off on your own and do your own thing if you are Mazel have and more power to you and just go for it and know that it's going to be hard, but that it's going to be worth it.
0: Mm. Mm Hmm. mm Hmm. And so much of your advice in the book, just like you were saying earlier, applies to both stages. I could see myself going back and reading the book and being like, "Right, ask for what I need as an entrepreneur, and like develop a community of people around me as an entrepreneur, and remember that like if I have a meltdown, it doesn't mean everything's over as an entrepreneur. Great,
1: you know. The The best thing I heard from, and there's a whole chapter for women who work for themselves in the book because that was something I added as I interviewed people. One of the best things I heard was when you work for yourself. Be the boss you wish you had, you know, like if you would in a more traditional job, if you would have set vacation time, if you would have, you know, set hours, whatever it is that you would expect of your benefits package, give that to yourself, you know,
0: when you're your own boss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that it's so hard much. It's so hard to do. I sometimes think that like I have the hardest boss in the world, right? And yeah. it's, and it's me. <laughs>
1: And also the nicest and the
0: prettiest. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And she looks perfect every morning. So thank you so much for joining me. This has been incredible. Where can people find you and just basically, you know, go on the internet and tell you how great you are? Oh, thank you. I do like <laughs>
1: So I am my website is the fifth trimester.com and there is a whole vertical on there for moms and a vertical for businesses and kind of wherever betwixt they meet. So there's that. And then I do love my social media. I largely am on Instagram and on Instagram, it's the my handle is the fifth trimester. On Twitter, I'm Lauren S Brody. S is Smith, Lauren S Brody. And on Facebook, it's the fifth trimester too you know, my business is still small enough. I respond personally to everything and I love, there's nothing more gratifying for me than talking to moms who are in position like I was or unlike I was and, and being able to help. It's just the most satisfying work in the world. I'm happy to be in touch. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, I promised to talk a little bit about using virtual assistants and how to make that a part of your life as an entrepreneur. Taskerly, the sponsor of this episode, is a small team based in the UK, and they work with a ton of clients in the US. What they do is they focus on helping online businesses, entrepreneurs, and startups with their marketing and admin work behind the scenes. So here are some of the things that they do. They do social media scheduling, email marketing, inbox management. They can help with customer service, basic graphic design work. They can modify Facebook groups. They even help with researching and outlining a ghostwriting. If you're working on a big writing project, or if you're running a blog and a podcast, they can help you manage your content calendars. And they've done things like website maintenance and making sure that your website is up to date. All of these things are super important things that online entrepreneurs need nowadays. And I remember the moment when I was so nervous because I wanted to hire somebody and I wasn't quite ready. Taskerly and other virtual assistants can be so helpful because because they help you bridge the gap. And you're like, okay, I'm going to start with a few hours a month. Maybe I'll build up to a few hours a week. And once you realize how much it helps to have somebody on your team taking some of the load off, it just changes your life as an entrepreneur. If you're curious, head to taskerly.co slash pregnant and apply to work with them. They don't accept everybody, but if you apply and you get accepted because you're a good match as a bonus for being a Startup Pregnant listener, you will get 10% off of your first three months. Do us a favor and give us a review and a rating in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are a brand new show and your ratings and reviews help tremendously in getting the word out. And please hit subscribe. If you want to tell your friends about it, share our website, StartUpPregnant.com. I also want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our show sponsors, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, Taskerly, Meet Edgar, Hippo Give, Fast Rope Labs, and Think Clearly. You guys made this show possible. One of the reasons this podcast exists in the first place is because we put out a call for sponsorships and we were overwhelmed by the response that we got. If you want to back us, head to patreon.com startuppregnant and become a sponsor. We have folks who contribute a few dollars a month to much more, and we would love to have your support. Our next goal is to back all of season two. So if you like what you hear and you like the stories that we're sharing and you think it's important that we build this, please, please leave a review on iTunes, hit subscribe, head over to our Patreon page. Basically, tell us that you want more of this and we will keep doing it. There are also all sorts of fun prizes and things you can get for backing at various levels of sponsorship. So if that's your jam, please do so and tell your friends about the show. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you on the next episode.